All right, folks, welcome in our Mizzou game plan here on the Big 550 KTRS. And yes, we're now an hour here on Friday nights moving forward through the rest of the basketball season. But you know what? We're sticking around into the summer because uh, this is your home for the Tigers. Mizzou news, Ben, as we've come to find out, college sports news, it never really stops. So we're going to have plenty to dig into as we get into the uh, weeks and months ahead. Are we a little bummed out? And, and maybe why we're moving back to an hour a little quicker. I think we we thought we were going to be talking Tigers and March Madness. Again, it just it, it hasn't worked out that way. Soccer's back, so soccer moves back to two hours, as you heard earlier tonight. But, man, we're, we're still at no shortage of material. Mike DeCourcy is going to be with us later to break down some brackets. I mean, it's still very uh very much at the top of mind for folks ben we're almost to march it just won't have mizzou march madness will never fail to disappoint it's just a matter of are you going to have local teams in it or not it seems like illinois is going to be carrying the banner for the region this year and uh and for mizzou for SLU, it's a chance to try to get back in that picture but still a ton of college hoops to dig into and here's the thing man Fortunately for for Mizzou, this is not a time of well the basketball team is having a down year and nothing. There's nothing to be positive about the basketball team's future looks bright. But but perhaps more importantly and more proven right now is the football team's success, which really knows no off season, and we're continuing to see that in the college football landscape. So it's a good chance for us to talk college football, get ready for spring ball, and uh, get ready to see what Mizzou can do to follow up that Cotton Bowl win. So it's uh, it's there's still a lot of Mizzou SEC college sports storylines here and uh, this gives us a chance to dig in yeah just when you think the coaching carousel has stopped something else pops up and last week of course it was chip kelly leaving ucla to take the oc job at ohio state they have since filled that position already with former ucla great running back deshaun foster but this week there was and to be honest ben i didn't hear this at a super loud level but there was talk about Kirby Moore as an as a candidate for the OC job at Alabama. It, it shows you how high his star is rising, much like Blake Baker. I mean, I think we knew as the season went on that Mizzou was going to have multi, both of their coordinators be candidates elsewhere, and ultimately Blake Baker does leave to take the D.C. job at LSU. But uh, Kirby Moore, his name connected to Alabama – he ends up not going. Bama fills the position internally. I'm not sure if it ever got to a point where Kirby had to turn the job down. Uh, none of that has really materialized. But whether he had an interview or turned it down somewhere in between, the fact, Ben, his name is linked to Alabama, it shows you the kind of coach Mizzou has, and it, I, I think, should excite tiger fans even more about what he's going to be able to draw up next year they've got themselves a keeper hopefully for multiple seasons ahead but that's one of the pitfalls of having a good team your coordinators are going to get poached but in this case kirby moore may be an eye to tuscaloosa but he's staying in columbia well kirby was uh, actively pursued this offseason and I don't have any details on on how serious his name or connection was with Alabama. I do know that when Mizzou announced his contract extension, 
Um, it felt like it had him pretty much locked up. We know how that can change. We saw that that happened with Blake Baker and LSU, but I think Mizzou was smart to be proactive with Kirby and try to be so with Baker. I think it shows you what the Tigers proved last season, that they had two young rising coordinators who were targeted by big schools for not just um, coordinator opportunities, but head coaching chances as well. And I've said this uh, before. I'll say it again. Like if you're Eli Drinkwitz, you, you want to have the kind of program where you're not losing your coordinators to go be coordinators elsewhere. You want to have the kind of program where guys are, if they're leaving, they're going to take that bite of the head coaching apple. And I think Mizzou was well positioned to do that, except LSU was prepared to make Blake Baker the, the highest paid coordinator in the country and also had some things to offer him that Missouri just couldn't match. It wasn't just money. And in fact, Missouri was willing to go there to a level that probably if it was just about the money, could have convinced Mike Baker to stay if Mizzou was the place he wanted to be. So um, it's not surprising to hear that other programs were and can, are continuing to be interested in Kirby. Um, they may have to to back up the Brinks truck for a, a Blake Baker-like defense of Kirby next season if things go well. But I, I think that uh, is something they're prepared to do. And and it also shows you that uh, you know I think that he's well-respected. You know, Kirby, maybe DeBoer was a little more open or interested in what Kirby achieved out in the Mountain West than a traditional Alabama staff would have been because he had just came from from Washington. But I think he's highly respected as someone who knows what he's doing in calling plays and is able to get young guys on board with his system. And I just think you look at what Missouri did last year and how the different ways that it was able to use all of its talents um, – And you can see why a school would be interested in having them among their potential candidates. I don't know how serious it was or if it was serious at Alabama, but uh, this is the the kind of conversations you want coordinators to be in. It's good news for Mizzou and and for Brady Cook especially that uh, that he's sticking around. Uh, No kidding. Uh, Having that consistency is going to be big for Brady. And I'm I'm speculating here, Ben, but I wonder if Kalen DeBoer doesn't have his sights set, at least initially – on calling his own plays down there in Alabama, and if if Kirby Moore going down there, maybe you know maybe you're the OC in name, but you're not necessarily calling plays. I, I think the fact that he knows exact, and this is sort of why, at the end of the day, I was still surprised to a certain extent about Blake Baker leaving because you're going into a brand new place. You don't know Brian Kelly. You don't know what his coaching tendencies might be. And you're stepping into an unknown where, golly, his chemistry with Drink was off the charts. And I think with, I think with Kirby Moore, man, you're calling plays with an offense that you know is going to be top ten worthy next year. We're going to get into that here in a couple of minutes, but you know your offense is is ready to churn again if you've got your sights set on being a head coach why leave an offense that you know is going to be legit there are still obviously the Alabama name maybe that's worth enough to where you could uh, lure uh, uh, an assistant coach down there just on that name alone you don't know what you're going to do necessarily hey but you're going to Alabama Kirby Moore didn't have to be swayed by that Ben it was I, I, I think right now the decision's awfully easy for him to to go with what he knows here at Mizzou and I, I just 
I don't think there are any guarantees as to how things are going to work down there in Alabama with uh, with Kalen DeBoer. And not, uh, I think he's going to be an excellent coach, by the way. We've talked about that. But why go to a place where you're, you're not completely familiar with how things are going to work? Well, money <laughs> would be the main reason. And if you feel like it can launch you to a better, a better spot, I, I'm not convinced that you can't, if you're, I think Kirby Moore ultimately wants to be a head coach. Um, I'll say the same thing about him that I said about Blake. I'm not convinced that Mizzou right now isn't as good of a spot to launch you to that spot Indeed. as being, uh, as being a, a coordinator at somewhere else in the sec. Um, now, maybe it gets you there a step faster, but maybe there's more risk. I mean, those are the things you got to sort out. I, I think our friend Blake Topbuyer, who we often have on our on our Mizzou game plan show in the falls, I think he just made some predictions for the upcoming football season. And I think if folks want to check that out, he picked Missouri to win more football games in Alabama next year, um, which uh, is not jarring here because we know the schedule, but it's probably going to ruffle some feathers down in the uh, deeper SEC footprint, um, Missouri's schedule is set up next season to have a really good year if you're a coordinator who's trying to make a name exactly. for maybe a head coaching opportunity. Um, just put it that way. And Kirby did get interest in head coaching opportunities this past offseason. Nothing became official, but he was in some interviews just like Blake Baker was. Um, so I think that's probably his end goal. And I think he should make moves that are based off of trying to get to that goal, not trying to be – a coordinator somewhere else at this point if he has the kind of year that mizzou is capable of next year i don't think he'll be in bad shape when it comes to testing that head coaching market if he chooses to do so and if he does that and eli drinkwitz gives him his support you know and says go get it because that's what ultimately a lot of these guys want to do but i, I don't think that guys at mizzou are, are should be looking at okay i gotta get this job to get the job i want you should be able to get the job you want from mizzou right. right now if they continue to have the success they've had well, I, it's getting more and more difficult, Ben, to project how a, a certain coach sees their career trajectory sure. going. Now, for somebody like Chip <laughs> Kelly, Chip Kelly, maybe this is his last job going to Ohio State. Maybe he'll coach. Maybe he thinks he'll be able to be an OC and, at a national championship school here in the next couple of years. But what we saw this week from the head coach of Georgia State, this uh, it becomes a, a lot more confusing maybe Sean Elliott the coach at Georgia State leaves his post there as the head coach at an FBS school mind you group of five school but FBS leaves his post as the head coach to take the running game coordinator job at South Carolina and granted you're jumping to the SEC you're jumping to a to a a school that maybe believes it's got some really good days ahead, but this man just straight up is a confusing move. Now, I, I I think he's got family there. I think that might be part of the story, uh, but another part is I, I think a coach that believes he can't keep some of the good players he has because of NIL. We saw his top running back come to Mizzou here during the offseason already through the transfer portal. It's... It's really, really interesting, and it's another domino, I think, to fall in this very strange climate that we're in now in, in, in college football, specifically high-level college football at that, to where a head coach says, my better move, 
My better move in career trajectory is taking not even an OC job, but a running game coordinator job at a middling SEC school at that in South Carolina. It's interesting that it kind of dovetails a little bit with what we saw Chip Kelly do on on maybe a not so grand of a scale. I think there are some of these coaches who are maybe burned out of all the things they had coaching jobs ask of them that maybe feel like I just want to coach ball and I don't want to do all this other stuff. I want to have a job that's more in line with what I want to do, not what I have to do. And for guys in that phase of their career who are maybe okay saying, okay, I'm going to give up on the dream of, of being a, a, a national championship winning power five coach and get a little more focus on what I really want to do, what I like about my job and maybe something that allows me to have a little more of a life outside of football. I think you're seeing guys make some of those moves and we've seen some guys just straight walk away from the game. And we're also seeing guys rush to get to the NFL as fast as possible. Liam Cohen at the at Kentucky, he goes to the NFL leaves goes Kentucky OC, goes to the NFL, comes back to Kentucky, leaves again. I mean, some of these guys can't seem to figure out what they want, but for guys who are at the top at the head coach level of the, you know, the non elite programs the non elite conferences, they're not getting the NIL money. They're losing their players to the transfer portal. They're making good money, but they're not making what these assistants are making at the, at the biggest, baddest programs. And they've got a lot more credentials sometimes of, of some of those other guys. So if they're, if they're willing to say, okay, I don't need the, the ego of being the head coach. And in fact, maybe I'm kind of tired of it and I can go help a young head coach and maybe be a voice in his ear about how to bring some head coaching experience that he can tap into. I can get a bigger payday for being an assistant and potentially have a better life and win. I can see for some of these guys, how if they're at that phase of their career, it makes sense to see, okay, I'm going to turn dial back a little bit and make a change. And, you're like, what if Chip Kelly just becomes a OC mercenary where he just bounces around and, and tries to lead different offenses and doesn't have to worry about some of the other head coaches? So that would be pretty fascinating. But I think some of these guys who want to keep coaching but don't want to go through the big headaches of being the head coach in this era where there is no sleep, it's nonstop, we're not making excuses or, or pandering for these guys, they get paid really well. But if you're, if you're not getting paid as well as some of the other guys and you can get paid better to do less and do only the things you like to do, I can see why more guys are going, okay, I'll go up a level but take a lesser job. Don't you think it's beyond time, Ben, to have a role in a, in a college football program that sort of acts as the general manager? That yeah, can, I think some things have started. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, I, we're think, seeing, I think we're we've seeing, gotten there. We're yeah. seeing those roles – Absor- uh, uh, um, start to evolve. Um, you know, there's Auburn just hired um, a really talented kind of roster management type position um, from LSU, and that role used to be a recruiting coordinator, and now it's more of almost just like a, it's almost like a like a like a GM in charge of the roster in terms of talent evaluation, in terms of recruiting targeting future prospects and it's it's very nfl sounding role the the guy's name is will redmond i actually know him from his time at the university of tennessee and he's always been an incredibly sharp talent scout evaluator of talent um and started out as, as a ga when i knew him and he's just grown rapidly and like the sec programs are now fighting over him so i think those gm type roles are coming online 
I think NIL type CEO type roles, a lot of head coaches are just doing it themselves. And that's probably smart. Eli Drinkwitz does it all himself. Right. But can you imagine how das- how how dastardly it would have been for him if Blake Baker would have been in charge of NIL? Oh, yeah, and he no, goes to LSU. No I mean, so a lot of head coaches want to hold that on to themselves, but some can't do it well. So some need like an NIL type kind of CEO. But those two jobs in terms of like roster kind of control and management and NIL management, I think are two of the jobs that are, if they're not, if programs don't already have them, they're trending toward them without having official titles on it. And I want to put any words in his mouth, Ben, but I, I, I mean, I've gotten a sense in in the times we've talked to drink where, he sounded like a guy that, man, yeah, all this other stuff. I'm not crazy about having to do it. I'm not crazy about having to manage my roster. Ever. I'm not crazy about having to recruit my guys that are already here year in and year out to make sure they stay. And there are certain things that I think it would be wise to take off your coach's head, it, co- take off your head coach's plate. And like you said, these guys are getting anxious to jump to the NFL. Who's to say after next year, if there's an offensive coordinator job that opens up with the Dallas Cowboys and they, you know, throw it Eli Drinkwitz's way? Now, granted, Drink is making really good money at Mizzou. He's probably not jumping for an OC job yet in the NFL. But yeah, at at what point do the coaches say, man, it's just not worth all of this stuff? If you're able to delegate even more things, and in terms of roster. Like you said, roster management, roster construction from a financial standpoint, which is what we've come to now, Ben. If if the head coach can have some of that office played, I really think it would go a long way to prevent some of this burnout that like I, I think we're seeing here. Yeah, I mean, Eli's, the thing about Eli is he may not like it and he may scoff at it, but he's good at it. I mean, his decision to step away from play call and give that to Kirby and focus on NIL was a win for his team and his program. I think Eli, I think his strength is being the face of a program. Some guys, maybe this is where Chip Kelly was. Maybe that's not his strength in this era. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe he's maybe better right. off staying in the, in the room, designing the plays, working with the quarterbacks. Eli made a, made a, I think a smart decision to step back from the play calling and say, okay, I'm going to go work on some of these other big topic things. And I think if you ask him, what's your favorite day? Is it going and, and whining and dining NIL folks, or is it working with your players on the sideline? He's going to take the players every time. But he also understands the importance of the other stuff. And I think his, he's adapted to be in yes, a very smart position. If you have head coaches who don't like that or who can't do it effectively, you're in trouble in this era. And you may be better off if you're one of those coaches realizing that and either you got to either get there or maybe it's time to – take a step back and say, okay, where am I best used in this, in this, in this system? Is it trying to get to the NFL where I can just focus on the business of football and not worry about the other stuff? Or is it going for a different role and recasting the trajectory of your career? Some guys are really smart about not knowing what they want and knowing what they don't want and not getting them confused. And they go in, and they go and become really, really good coordinators for the long haul. Um, or, or some guys only want to be that head coach, but that means you got to evolve and adapt. So we've heard a lot about burnout. We've heard a lot about these guys, you know, complaining and, and there's legitimate issues that recruiting never stops. The calendar has been blown up the multiple signing days. But one thing you're not going to hear is anyone say, I'll just 
be the first to change it. I'll be the first to stop recruiting. I'll be the first to stop taking advantage of NIL. Everybody wants to complain about it, but nobody's stop. Nobody's stopping throwing the logs on the fire. It's just going to continue to go and go because winning, you know, asks you to burn the oil around the clock. And and there's tangible evidence that the more you pour into it, the more you can get out of it. And these all guys are all competing with each other, whether it's team wise or or professionally individually and so they kind of they kind of just burn themselves out and and i don't think it's going to stop they can try to change the rules and maybe bring some sanity back to the calendar they probably should until then though i think it's just going to be a very highly paid but very highly stressful position my god it's I mean, it's mid-february and this carousel this is, is still supposed spinning. to be their downtime it's still spinning ben and how about you mentioned right. the kentucky oc job with liam cohen leaving again for the NFL. Did you see who replaced him at Kentucky? It's our old pal, Bush Hamden. I mean, this was Bush Hamden who was determined to be a head coach, right, and and, and wanted to get back to his old stomping grounds. And how right. long did that storyline last? Not too long. This, I think the rest of us, like those on the outside, we have to get over this idea of – thinking that these moves sometimes make sense. Like these guys, they don't think like normal people. They don't think like, okay, make three moves and then stay. Or when are you going to settle down? Or they, they literally think of, okay, what am I making? What am I going to make next year? What is the job I have? Open me up to make the year after that. How safe am I here? Where am I going to get, where am I going to get, where, what job might be safer? What's next for me career-wise? I mean, some of these long-term assistant coaches, They've, they've had 10, 15 jobs, and they've never stayed in a place more than more than five years. It's not how I would prefer to do things. It's probably not how most people would like to do things, but they've committed to that lifestyle. And, I mean, look at, for example, a guy like Steve Wilkes, who just got fired by the 49ers. Now, this is the NFL level, but he came and took a college job. He'll get another job, I'm sure. He'll just go wherever the work is, and that's how they've built their lives. So this idea, this kind of old school outdated idea of like there's something bad happening if a coach leaves or that place is such a better opportunity for in terms of a program sometimes it's just a better opportunity in the guise of the in the eyes of the guy taking the job and that's been one thing we talk so much about the transfer portal i'd like to see how much coaching transition has ramped up over recent years because it just seems like it's non-stop now and there's three four five six seven eight positions that have to be filled on the staff every year Another reason to be disappointed, too, Ben, that the Mizzou-Kentucky rivalry doesn't hang around. Uh, Bush Hamden going down there would have been another log on the fire to keep that rivalry sizzling a little bit. I'm I'm bummed that it goes away, and I, I don't think it's – it's certainly not going to be back on an annual basis, even if we get to those three rotating uh, annual rivals. I don't think Kentucky would be on that list, but – that was, uh, looking back, that's going to be a fun series that was a, a rivalry for a, a brief few years and maybe not the kind of rivalry that you you know, you know you make a trophy out of. It doesn't become a battle line uh, game or something like that, but it, it had turned into one that I think it, it was a measuring stick for Mizzou, and I'm sorry to see it go. Yeah, same, and same for the Tennessee game, which yeah. was always spicy, whether it was a lopsided game or a close game, and we had some minor fireworks with uh, the stand-on-business walk-off from Eli Drakewitz, but we don't know when those teams are going to play again. I mean, it's it's not as of now; it's not scheduled. Now they'll meet at some point, 
as the you know the non-permanent rivals cycle through but it may be three maybe four years before we see a, a tennessee mizzou football game again which bums me out major major league no doubt about it uh, ben Fredrickson with me on Brendan we see our mizzou game plan here on a Friday night, I mentioned, we'll dig into this next week, a lot of returning production, well, we have all spring and summer to talk about, the returning production for Mizzou football and where they rank. Well, spoiler, they rank at the top, but what that uh, what that means for next year in Missouri Tiger football. But we're going to talk some college hoops next couple segments. Mike DeCourcy, the bracketologist, if you will, over at Fox Sports. He's with us coming up next. We'll make some picks to wrap up the evening a little bit later here on the Big 550. It's our Mizzou game plan here on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan see very pleased to welcome onto the program a longtime college basketball writer for the Sporting News. He does uh, all the bracketology for Fox Sports. You'll see him a bunch here, see his bracket a bunch this weekend. Uh, Mike DeCourcy kind enough to join us on the Big 550. Mike, thanks for coming on the show again, sir. How are you? I'm doing okay, Brennan. How are you? I'm really well. I know you're dealing with snow where you're at. We've <laughs> we've had a bunch here in St. Louis, so uh, we can empathize with each other for sure. And uh, maybe a good excuse for people to watch some hoops this week. And I do want to circle back, though, Mike, to what happened last night. And that, that that's what Caitlin Clark did for Iowa, breaking the all-time women's scoring record in the NCAA. I, I've, I've been saying this for a while. It feels like she's not just the biggest women's college basketball star mike she's the biggest college basketball star right now men's or women's oh i don't think there's any question about that uh, she has drawn many millions of uh fans who were not engaged with co- women's college basketball before to the sport she's creating new fans through her outreach and appeal to young players and young and young fans uh, who may who may or may not be uh, interested in playing? And she's she's done an amazing job, and I, I will tell you, it, it is really ama- it, what 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 I what I really have a hard time understanding, comprehending is how she's able to be so energetic about the outreach, uh, because the young fans expect to connect with her. I mean, she's been approached during games uh, to to get to sign autographs, even uh, once or twice, and. She certainly handles it beautifully, and I don't know how she does it. I really don't. I, I, I've been around lots of star athletes who struggled with that aspect of it, the, the crush of fans interested in, in reaching out to them, and she handles it beautifully. I've, I've interviewed her on multiple occasions, and she's really sharp and, and, and interesting and, and conversive. Uh, she's just she's, she's someone that understands what she's capable of doing for the sport as well as in the sport and embraces all of it. Mike, do you think she'll have a difficult decision to make in trying to weigh the pros and cons going to the WNBA or coming back for another year of college where the NIL money, i got to imagine, would be through the roof? Well, the NIL money is through the roof for her regardless. Uh, She's got deals with Gatorade and State Farm. We see her on national television commercials for State Farm. Uh, I, I believe she also has some some uh, some uh, some sort of arrangement with Nike. I don't know whether she's done television for them, but she has certainly a relationship with Nike as well. They're very smart about uh, getting uh, getting into business with the most appealing athletes, as they did with with Tiger Woods thirty years ago. Yeah. Say. 
I, I think that I think she's going to make a lot of money regardless of where she is. I think it's what she's going to, and this, the difficult part is she's going to have to make the decision very quickly. If they're able to make the final four again, she'd have to make the decision very quickly after they complete their competition. I believe the it's 48 hours after the title game. Oh, and wow. that's very fast. Yeah. Now, if she doesn't go that far, she'll have a little bit more downtime to make the decision. But I think the decision for her comes it's not so much financial as competitive. Does she want it's, she's set every record there is just about in women's college basketball. Uh, does she want to continue to do that or does she want to go and start to play against the best and get better? Uh, because you you once you reach a certain point, you get better by playing against the best. And the best are in the WNBA, and she's ready for that. There's no doubt about that. And there is the added element of the fact that she would be relatively close to home if she were to choose to play now. If she were to choose to play professionally now, uh, she, she would be the number one overall pick by the Indiana Fever, which is not all that terribly far from Iowa City. It, it's not... You know, it's not a, a down to the Seven Eleven or anything, but it's not. You know, it's not. Also, it's not Seattle or New York or L.A. or Vegas. And you, you got to imagine sticking around the footprint of, of Big Ten country. Although I guess we can argue the footprint now goes from coast to coast, but the uh, the the original footprint would would be one to to serve her well and and serve her fans well. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt, and she would be joining a really promising young team, Aaliyah Boston who was the National Player of the Year two years ago, and then it was very close between she and Caitlin last year, and Caitlin won the mo- most of the awards. Uh, Aaliyah Boston, who's a tremendous young player, was the, the pick by the Fever last year, and they were fortunate now to win the lottery. So I know that once it becomes uh, prudent to do so, the Fever will do everything they can to try to convince Caitlin to take advantage of that, that circumstance with a young team with Aaliyah Boston, uh, playing in a great uh, basketball market like Indiana. I mean, it's not a huge market. It's not a, uh, it, you know, it's not uh, New York or whatever, but it's, but it's a basketball-loving place. And obviously it's, it's, it's a huge decision for the Fever because it's, it's the difference between a third of the house, which is about what they've averaged uh, over time, or full houses every night. If they will get if if Caitlin goes pro, they're starting to sell out Cambridge Fieldhouse on a regular basis. Right. Wow. Uh, Going to be amazing to watch, and uh, every one of her games will be can't miss TV here. Walking up to the uh, women's NCAA tournament, Mike DeCourcy with us covers college basketball for the Sporting News. Does the brackets for Fox Sports, and Mike taking a look at your bracket. Right now, you know, we here in Missouri don't really have a, a lot to root for at the moment with Mizzou being down again and Salute Basketball not uh, really in the picture. But I do want to talk about the top of your bracket. How deep do you think it goes in terms of the elite teams? Those want, The teams on the one seed look awfully imposing, Arizona, UConn, Houston, and, of course, Zach Eady and Purdue. But how do how deep do you think it goes beyond the one seeds of of really elite teams in college basketball this year? I will be honest, Brandon. I don't think in terms of really elite teams it goes beyond the first two one seeds, uh, UConn and, and Purdue. 
Uh, Houston, I, I'm, I'm, I think they do the best. They, they are doing a wonderful job with what they have. I still wonder if their offense is championship level. Uh, I, I have no doubt that they are, they are maximizing what they have, and that if they could have, you know, five consecutive hot nights by Tremont, by, uh, by, uh, by LJ, excuse me, by uh, LJ Flagler. Uh, if they could have that five consecutive hot nights, maybe there's enough offense there. Right. Um, but I don't know that there is necessarily. Uh, even with that, uh, it's, it's it's a tremendous physical team. They they play as hard as anybody in the country. Defensively, their concepts are elite, and their execution of their concepts is is, is absolutely at the top of the game. But can they score at the level they need to score? Because when they went up against Kansas and Kansas was making baskets against their defense, Kansas, which does not have a great defense, stuffed them. I mean, they blew them out. And it, Kansas shouldn't be able to blow out an elite team. I feel like I say this every year, Mike, but this Kansas team doesn't appear to be particularly deep, and they've not been good on the road. Are there you know, some red flags about Bill Self's team as we get a little closer to March? Well, it, you, you think back to 22, and they were bringing uh, guys who had started every team, at, every, at most every program in the country off the bench down to 8 or 9 or 10. Uh, and now, honestly, they only just discovered a fifth capable player when Johnny Furphy started to make threes and started to right. rebound at a pretty good level. And so now they have five good players. They didn't have five when they went to Texas Tech on Monday. Uh, because Kevin McCullough was hurt, so they were down to four again, and they got blown out again. Uh, that, so that's that's the problem that Kansas has. Is most teams in college basketball cannot afford an injury uh, of any sustained length, and Kansas can afford that even less than most because they don't have they don't even have a guy that they can put out there and feel confident in. Mike, you got Kansas on the two line. You've got the Fighting Illini in at number uh, in as a four seed. They've been really fun to watch. I'm not sure they have a a true point guard, but obviously the the story with with Illinois is can they keep their best player on the floor? And a lot of that is going to depend on the legal system. But it looks like it's all systems go for Terrence Shannon, uh, but. They're starting five pretty good, and golly, you love the way they can get up and down the floor. Is Could this be an opportunity for Brad Underwood to have one of his Illinois teams make a deep run in the tournament? I think it is an opportunity. There are a couple things that need to happen. First of all, they need to finish well so they can get themselves into a... Uh, right now, they're a four-seat for me. A lot of people might have them as a three. I think they're very much straddling that area. We'll see what the committee thinks in the bracket reveal tomorrow, and we'll get a better idea of what Illinois needs to do to either climb or to hold where they are. Uh, they, they will have problems at times initiate, uh, initiating offense. We saw that against Michigan State. At the end of their game, final two minutes, they're in a one-possession game. They had two consecutive possessions where they really struggled to get their offense started and Michigan State read what they were going to try to do and blew it up twice, created turnovers, and got the basically the game-winning and the game-sealing baskets out of it. So they need to do a better job of initiating in the, in the biggest moments. And that's the first thing. And then the second thing is 
uh, they have to continue to defend at the at the level they are. There there is no team in the country that is better at switching than they are because they can switch one to five. Uh, most teams can switch one to four, and then if they go to five, it becomes problematic. But they can go one to five with with great ease, and if if they continue to, to defend at that level, they're going to be uh, they're going. It's almost like not quite the same as, but it's almost like when teams would get in the NCAA tournament and then they get stuck in the same bracket with Syracuse and they've never seen anything quite like Syracuse's zone, right? And then they get beaten, even though Syracuse wasn't as good as them. Uh, that, that it's, it's a little bit like that, the ability to, to switch from one to five. It can disrupt a lot of, a, a lot of ball screen offenses, which is what the per- predominant approach is offensively now in college basketball. We got a lot of folks rooting on the Illini, and I tell you, we we cover the Missouri Valley Conference here on the Big Five Fifty, and excited to see in your bracket that you've got Indiana State in, in a pretty fortuitous seed line. I think you've got them in the eight nine, if I'm not mistaken, or the seven ten. They're, they're, they're in an 8-9 game. I believe they're a 9 at this you point. You do. Yep, you've got them as a 9. And and it makes me wonder, Mike, with, with the other one of the top teams in the Valley, Drake, they've got three quad one wins. Is there a chance the Valley puts two teams in, in your estimation? There's a chance, but that, that Indiana State upset loss the other night really uh, put a ding in that. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 we'll see whether or not. Uh, it punishes them greatly, but that, that didn't help at all. They really needed to get all the way to the title game without losing. So I, one, of the, one of the many, many reasons I can't stand the AP poll, uh, I think it's the dumbest thing, dumbest way to decide who's good, we vote on it. I just don't get that. And, uh, and, and people make such a fuss about, about it that I really think it distracted Indiana State to, to get into the ranking uh, on Monday, and they wound up playing really poorly their next night out, even at home. And so, it, as it turned out, they took a loss that it's a quad four loss, one of the one of the yeah. worst losses that you can take. Uh, and it, it'll impact their seed. I I don't know uh, honestly. I've had them in the eight eight nine game based on their their Ken Palm rating, their net rating, the predictive metrics that yep. the committee often uses. And a lot of people are like, what are you doing? They're, they're a mid-major. And I'm like, okay, so everybody else gets seated on the metrics, but if you are right. clearly a mid-major, we just throw it out? That doesn't seem right. But honestly, if they do, it's probably better for the Sycamores. Uh, because if they're, they're, they're better positioned as a 12 yep. or an 11 yep. than they are in an 8-9 game when they would have to win a really tough game in round one and then have to play a one seed in round two. So it, it, probably you want me to be wrong on that. Uh, but we'll see how it works out, uh, and they may win a bunch more games and take out, take down Drake in the Valley Championship in Arch Madness, and maybe they climb up uh, even higher than I have them. Who knows? I feel like getting both of those teams to the Valley Championship, Mike. Maybe the loser is is one of the last at larges to get in. Again, I think Drake's profile is pretty good with the three quad one wins. I feel like they probably need to run roughshod and maybe not lose another game the rest of the way. I'd say the, probably the same thing for Indiana State. Good league, strong league from about uh, seven or eight down, but um, getting those two to the title game would, would be big. Yeah, I, I, I really thought prior to the, this week that if Indiana State uh, won out and then Drake beat them in the title game, playing 
mostly winning most of, if not all of their games down the stretch. I, I thought that 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 would be a recipe for a two bid valley. Uh, I I just have less faith in that now because of that loss. Yeah. I'm not saying it's out of the question because again their 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 record metrics are really good. Uh, their predictive metrics, the Ken Palm and the Net, those kinds of things are really good. Uh, they 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 say NCAA tournament team all over them. The only thing that says maybe not is that quad four loss and they're in the valley. And I I don't think it should ever be done like that. It should be done based on what you've achieved. And Indiana State has played like and achieved like and performed like an NCAA tournament team to now. Now, take a couple more losses and don't get the bid, uh, the automatic bid, and then it's a different story. No doubt. No doubt about it. Mike DeCourcy, all over college basketball, sporting news, Fox Sports with the bracket. It is always so much fun to catch up with him this time of year. I appreciate it, Mike, uh, even as the weather's playing havoc uh, with both of us here around the Midwest. Uh, greatly appreciate your time tonight. All right, let's make some picks for the weekend in college basketball. Not a stacked slate, but, hey, still a good one. We've got some top 25 battles. We've got a battle, Ben, in the top five tomorrow afternoon. The fighting Martin Kilcoins of Marquette traveling to number one Connecticut. I love This is going to be a tremendous game. I know I saw some folks during the week disappointed this wasn't a Saturday night primetime game, but certainly the top of the slate tomorrow should be very entertaining. So we should be sure to, sure to get on Martin's case on the text thread if Marquette happens to fall behind. And then just avoid texting him whatsoever if Marquette wins. That, that's that's how I understand that. I think so. Do you uh, do you give Marquette a chance tomorrow? <laughs> well, I I do. Um, the little concerning, you know, we talked so much about rebounding with this Mizzou team. Marquette, another that's probably their one weakness, which they play in a way that, that sometimes that doesn't matter. They do a better job of, of over kind of shadowing that that weak spot. And I don't like them as much on the road. They they really they really have that home energy. Um, especially when they get Shaka Smart out there playing defense as the as the sixth man. Martin's got to tell his guy to get back on the sideline a little bit. He's got some of that Travis Ford in him. Um, I I like I like Connecticut as I like to say at home. Um, if this was at Marquette, I think I'd feel differently. I th- so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little Marquette upset in there, and it, not a huge upset, but it would be for them to go on the road and beat number one UConn. Tyler Kolek is right now playing like the player of the year in the country. I don't think he's going to be able to do enough to win that honor, but take a look at his, at his recent numbers. Going back to mid-January, he's got five 20-plus point games. He's got a 32-point performance, four double-digit assist games, including going 27, 13, and 7 uh, last weekend against St. John's. He is absolutely on fire I think there's some Tyler Kolick magic here, Ben. I think they beat UConn tomorrow. I like both teams, by the way. I'm starting to really like both teams for a, a deep March run. Uh, this, Whoever wins or loses won't change my opinion there, but I like Marquette tomorrow. I think I might be talking myself into into Connecticut for the for the title repeat. No doubt. I, yeah, I was no down doubt. on them, I think, because it's so hard to repeat and you know see all the, all the numbers about how impossible it is, but they haven't skipped a beat. And that's an impressive thing to do for a team of college players to, to not get too far into your own hype. 
after a great success. I've been very impressed with what they've done this season. So I'll take the Huskies. I agree with you. These are two teams that we're going to be talking about in March. How about Big 12? It is the Kansas Jayhawks, the sixth-ranked Jayhawks, at number 25, Oklahoma tomorrow, Ben. Well, this one is, uh, you know, Oklahoma's on the cusp of being ranked here. Kansas is unbeatable, it seems like, at home. But this one's on the road. So um, I kind of like the Sooners in this game, um, just for the sake of if you're ever going to pick against Kansas, which I haven't the last couple times we picked, you, you do it when it's you do it when it's on the road. And I think Kansas is good, but I don't think they're unbeatable. I think the Big 12 is really tough, and Oklahoma's been hanging tough. So I kind of like the Sooners here after Kansas has scored some big wins. Yeah, Kansas has scored some big wins, uh, but here's the thing about the Jayhawks. Um, they have lost four in a row on the road. Yikes. Their Ken Palm ranking has dropped all the way down to 20. Surprised they're still ranked uh, number six in the country with uh, some of the struggles they've had. Again, big wins at home, and their depth, I think it continues to be a bugaboo. Kevin McCullough's been banged up. Hasn't been playing. It's really elevated Johnny Furphy, their 6'9 freshman, who's played very well. This kid's going to be a stud, and he's well on his way. Really seeing his playing time increase. But I don't think they've got enough pieces, Ben. And I got to tell you, I feel like the Big 12, they might be a conference I pick against by the time we get to March. Just starting to have that feeling a little bit. I think Oklahoma wins this game tomorrow, but I'm not necessarily sold on them big picture and i'm starting to not be too sold on the kansas jayhawks either um they got to get mcculler healthy they've got some dudes but uh they they need they need to prove they can win in a hostile atmosphere and right now they haven't so yeah i like oklahoma tomorrow yeah they're they're dangerous at, they're as dangerous at home as they are weak on the road and i think last time one, one of the games that caught my eye was oklahoma kind of stuck it to byu at home um not too long ago so they they're playing up they're playing well um, in front of their home crowd. Everybody gets up for Kansas, whether they're at the tip top of their game or not. So um, I kind of like Oklahoma being the, the team that continues this Kansas road struggle storyline here. Moving along, Ben, number 22, Kentucky, and number 13, Auburn. Man, uh, look, I, I'd love it if the Wildcats could could take something and knock off these this, this Auburn team, but they're rolling, and they're not just winning. They're clubbing teams. Um, they are, they're, they're beating teams by margins we're not seeing – in the SEC, and they're doing it to everybody. They've been basically a buzzsaw, and they're and they're incredible. They're incredible on their home court. Um, I, I think Kentucky's Kentucky's a good team. I, I think they're still trying to to reach their best form. But Auburn is at playing at another level right now, and if they're playing at this level when they get to March, it's going to be dangerous for whoever they're up against. Maybe they peak too soon, but uh, they're they're really playing well in an SEC that is. Uh, that is, they can't find a way to beat them. It seems like so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick Auburn here. Yeah, yeah, I think you have to pick Auburn here at home. The way they're, the margin of victory at home, they are destroying teams. It's they wild. Beat Bama by 18. <laughs> they beat a good South Carolina team, right? By 40. Yeah, a couple of days yeah, ago. I, mean, I remember we had Dane Bradshaw on the show, and he said, "I'm waiting for Alabama to stop beating teams by double digits," and it hasn't stopped. And that was, that was weeks ago. Right. So. I, I it's really impressive the way that they're just they're running up and down good teams and if you get them at home that place is wild um, for folks who haven't been to a game there it's small and it's loud and the students are crazy Pearl goes nuts I mean it's <laughs> one of the it's one of the less talked about tougher environments yeah. to play well said. in college basketball 
and the way that they're chewing up people at home, I'm not picking against them. How about a Valley game, Ben? We've got Indiana State, number 23. The Sycamores have already lost with that ranking, so that'll man. be the end next week. They're at that, Southern Illinois. <laughs> yeah, that one killed me, man. I, we had a column. I, Jeff Gordon wrote a great column about how awesome this is for them and get published the day they lost uh, <laughs> uh, as soon as they got ranked. So that's a bummer. I think they rebound here, though. Um, they're not a team that's going to come come flying off the rails, but uh, I think they get back on track here. And 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 I don't know if it will if they'll get much padding in, in the rankings, but uh, but but I think they're going to continue to finish this season strong despite being set back in an unpredictable loss. It'll be a fun game. I'm going to take Southern Illinois because of Xavier Johnson. I, I think that tempo is going to. It doesn't. This is where it's dangerous for Indiana State because it's so up and down. I think it's going to. Give a little boost to the Salukis. I like Southern to pull a bit of an upset there in Carbondale tomorrow. And then we've got Mizzou and Ole Miss, Ben. Tigers, do they get off the schneid? Can we say they're one and 11? I'd say this. They they still they seem to play a little better on the road than they do at home for yeah. whatever reason. I worry about uh, Missouri, and I've written about this. They're now playing teams that are either in the tournament or on the bubble, except for two. One being LSU, that's on the road, and one being Arkansas, which already beat them. I mean, Ole Miss is hungry to prove that they deserve to make the NCAA tournament. You combine that with the home game, and it's hard to pick Mizzou based off what we've seen. Um, some of these games are getting a little lopsided for the Tigers. Uh, they need to dig deep. They need to, to find a way to surprise us, but i got to pick Ole Miss until I see otherwise. And if we say, like, oh, tomorrow they're going to win, Tamar Bates needs to have like 36 points, right? The last time Bates scored 36 against Florida, they lost by 12. Bates can right. be as heroic as he wants to be, and it doesn't matter. That's the problem. Maybe if Tamar Bates scores 50, he doesn't have enough help. They don't play defense. <laughs> I like Ole Miss, unfortunately. Get it done tomorrow. Ben, uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll, uh, we'll talk on Sunday. Sounds good, man. Have a good weekend, everybody. That's Ben. I'm Brendan. That's our show for tonight. We will talk to you on Sunday morning here on the Big 550.